Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Your body is made up of cells and each have their important role to play, but how do they go along their journey? Now a cell starts off in one form and then eventually grows up into something like a neuron or maybe a liver cell. So how do they make that decision? And are all the same cells in your body the same age? And if they're not, how does it all work? Are you one age or are you a combination of different ages? All this in week and more as we look into cells and the role they play in your body. If you ever think about something that's really old, uh, maybe something like an ancient temple or maybe an object like a boat, chances are it might have ended up in a museum. But the thing is, when you're trying to conserve and keep that very old thing alive, sometimes you might need to fill in the pieces, replace a bit of damage, swap out one piece of timber for another, make a a new section of mast. And when you do that, slowly over time, as time goes on and on and on, you spend years and years looking after swapping in and out pieces. You get to the point where you have to ask yourself, is that the same thing that I started out originally? This exact point was put by the ancient Greek scholar Plutarch in his writings Theseus, and then later expanded on by all sorts of philosophers from Plato to Thomas Hobbes and John Locke, all asking the same question. If over time one object has all of its bits and pieces swapped and replaced with other ones, is that object still the same thing? It's an interesting question, and you can find it in all sorts of popular culture, from the Tin Man and the Wonderful Wizard of Oz to all kinds of science fiction. And it's a great thing to think about, but when you apply it to, well, I guess, the human body, you have to wonder what's going on. Because our cells in our body aren't all the same age. Of course, as we age, some cells die and split and replicate and are replaced. But other cells in your body stay chucking along as they were from the beginning. Some cells, in fact, are incredibly old. They don't actually subdivide and get replaced. So then the question is, are you the same thing as you were before? And, well, the other question that you need to ask yourself is, what parts of the body are old and new? And for scientists for a long time, they've sort of thought that, well, the only thing that's really incredibly static, that doesn't really change, as old as you are, effectively, is the neurons inside your brain. And, effect most people thought that that is in fact where the oldest parts of you live. Everything else is sort of subdividing and changing over time. But new research, out of researchers from the University of California and other places, have been investigating what they call the age mosaic of your body. The age mosaic is effectively how different parts of your different organs can actually end up being combinations of cells that are new and cells that are old. And in fact, It's not just your brain that has this core of really old cells. So to dive into the detail here, we need to understand what parts of our body are incredibly old, or as old as we are, and what parts are replaced. So when you look at the brain, most neurons that make up the brain, neuron being the base key cell that builds up your nervous system and your brain, most of them don't divide especially during adulthood. And thus, they basically have a really long lifespan. And when you get old, they start to decline. But mostly because of how difficult it is to image and figure out the age of cells, scientists have long thought that the neurons were pretty much the oldest things in your body. 
So taking the neurons as kind of the benchmark, what they scientists from the Salk Institute and University of California used as an age baseline. And they compared it to other non-dividing cells, non-dividing cells being cells that don't undergo the splitting and replication process. So basically, once they're there, they, they pretty much stay the same. And they used electron isotope labeling and a specific type of hybrid imaging method called MIMS-EM to visualize and track and just how many of these cells are floating around and what their age is and how much they turn over inside the brain i.e. how many often do they get swapped out by newer ones. And they did this in a few places, not just the brain. They compared the results from the brain to results from the pancreas and the liver. And they did it in both young and old rodent models. So they started by trying to measure and quantify the age of all the different cells they encountered, kicking off with, of course, the neurons, which were, as suspected, as old as the actual organism itself. But when they looked at the cells that line blood vessels, these are called endothelical cells. They're as old as the neurons, which means they were old as the organism itself. This means that often some non-neuronal cells don't actually replicate or replace themselves through the lifespan. And that was kind of a big kickstart for this research. So then they turned their attention to the pancreas. It's an organ responsible basically for maintaining the blood sugar levels and pushing out different types of digestive enzymes. Now, the pancreas is quite interesting because it showed cells of all kinds of ages, some new and some young and old. But they weren't in different regions. They were all... Now, for example, one region of the pancreas, known as the islets of Langerhans, is a mosaic of young and old cells. For example, some beta cells, which actually pump out insulin replicate through the lifetime, and thus they're pretty young. But not all of them were. Some of them were actually quite old, didn't divide, and were incredibly long-lived, pretty much the same age as the neurons, and thus the age of the organism. Another type of cell, called delta cells, didn't divide at all. So again, would be very old, the same age as the organism. Now the pancreas is basically, this has this whole population of identical cells, but all, some of them are old and some of them are young, all working together. That's a quite interesting mix. Now, the liver, as previous studies have identified, generally is believed to have the capacity to regenerate itself during adulthood. So the researchers said, okay, well, this is a good thing to look at to try and see if there's some young cells hanging out in the liver. But I'm, to their surprise, the vast majority of the liver cells in a healthy adult mice were found to be as old as the organism, which means they didn't divide, which means they weren't young new cells, they were old cells. But when they looked at the cells that lined the blood vessels and the stellate-like cells, which is basically another type of liver cell inside the body, they were very short-lived and were being replaced all the time. So again, the liver was a mosaic of young and old cells, but not in the way that researchers expected. It shows which parts of the liver actually could be have the potential to regenerate. And when we think about regenerative medicine, which is an area of science which is trying to look at ways to help our organisms and cells respond to an incident or trauma by regenerating themselves, particularly in something like a liver where to counter things like liver disease, 
This is incredibly interesting because now researchers have a, a list of cells to target and look at that may actually be more beneficial to try and trigger this regeneration. Now, it's not just limited to organs. If you look at things like protein complexes, they, these are really complicated bits of your body that have different groups in them. For example, the primary cilia. It's got like hairy like appendages on the outside of cells, of beta cells, which live in the pancreas or the neurons, contained these vast protein regions. But the proteins themselves were made up of cells of all different ages. Now, this is pretty exciting to think about. Your body is not statically linked in time. It doesn't start at one point and finish at the same point with all of the same bits. And even at the level below your organs, the organs themselves are also in this constant state of flux. Some parts are being swapped over and replaced while other parts are staying on. So this is some great research published in the journal Cell Metabolism from the Salk Institute and researchers from the University of California, San Diego, which goes to really challenge the idea of how old our organs are and which parts of our organs are young and old and shine a light onto potentially a new area of research for regenerative medicine. So we talked about young and old cells. It also raises the question of how a cell knows what to become in the first place. Now, all of these different types of cells in your body that go on to become things like neurons, parts of your liver, your kidneys, your brain, even things in your retina or inside your heart, all these cells start off as a single primordial cell, but they become incredibly hyper-specialized cells with a really specific job to do and that they do very well. But how do these basic, primitive, undifferentiated types of cells figure out what they want to do with their life? What do they use to help them make this decision process? Do they sit down and take an exam like the SATs or the HGSEs or the HSCs in Australia? Or do they have something else nudging them in a certain direction? And for a long time, scientists and biologists in particular have been trying to figure out what causes a progenitor cell to make that leap, to make that decision to lock in what they're going to become. And now a team of researchers from Harvard Medical School, the Karolinski Institute and the Medical University of Vienna have published in the journal Science an example of studying the journey of a specific type of cell, a mouse's neural crest tissue, and seeing what journey that that cell faces over its lifetime what competing choices are faced in front of it, and how it makes all of those decisions on the journey from a progenitor cell all the way through to adulthood. Now, this study is incredibly complicated because what you effectively have to do is trace the life cycle of a cell. And the researchers categorise this into three main phases. First, there is the activation of competing genetic programs which vie for the cell's attention. These gradually bias the cell to commit to one way or the other. Now, it's important to note here that the, even the researchers 
emphasize some caution in this study. Now, this only relates to the decision-making process for neural crest cells, but the same approach could be applied to understand all differentiations for other types of organ and tissues. Now, it's unclear if these other organs and tissues will follow the same mechanism, but the method could be used to study them. So what exactly was that method that they used? So the researchers traced the trajectories of these primitive cells by collecting a whole bunch of them from a rise in, in the ectoderm, one of the primary germ cell layers which is formed as part of the embryonic development. Now these progenitor cells give rise to all kinds of different cells, including nerve cells in the brain and in the spinal cord. And elsewhere, they can form body-producing pigment cells, as well as the cells of bones and cartilage and smooth muscles. So to trace them, what they did is use a technique called single-cell sequencing. This technique allows them to observe genetic changes in each individual cell, one cell at a time. And then they plot the cell's trajectory in the form of big decision-making trees, yes, no, yes, no, marked like a series of forks in the road. Now, to, to determine which way the cell actually went, they tracked the rate of RNA change in individual cells and then looked at which RNA changes occurred. And they used that to measure the shifts and what that was going on inside the cell, its gene expression, and what proteins were being produced as a result. These things occur when a cell is starting to make its decision about which way it will go. So it's a good way to track so by using single cell sequencing and tracking the RNA expression over time, they're actually really able to track the journey of an individual cell. So as a cell decides it wants to be a particular type, some parts of RNA production will get turned off or on depending on the genes that are emphasized. And that's how they're using to trace the journey of the cells. Now, what they found was quite surprising. There was a lot of competing different groups of genes, different what they called genetic programs. These genetic programs are doing different things like regulating cellular functions. And they'll put out the call and they'll nudge cells one way or the other. And they'll say, well, maybe you want to consider this or this, thinking about it like different people handing out flyers to a young student as they walk through uh, on open days of a university. As cells decide on a path, one of these genetic programs becomes stronger when the other one, the competing one, gets weaker. And the cell sort of starts producing more and more to align with that particular chosen path. But as they tracked this, it was not just one choice. It was a series of binary choices with each of these choices further narrowing the choice of specialization. For example, the first bifurcation on the cell's journey occurs at an intersection when a neural crest must choose whether it will become a sensory nerve cell or another type of cell. Then, further down the road, the nerve cell must decide if it wants to become a glial cell. It's one of the types of cells that supports the neurons, or if it actually wants to become a neuron itself. And then and then it goes through making more and more choices until it's finally locked in its specialization. So that's particularly interesting. But it's not an individual gene that biases the cell's choice. It's actually a whole cluster of genes that get activated simultaneously and they all vie for the cell's attention and they all push the cell in different directions, sort of to balance it all out. So it actually does wait to hear from both sides of an argument. It doesn't just leap at the first thing that appears, which is actually quite interesting to think about. 
They, all, they observed the cells only making a choice after both competing programs were partially activated. So the, the cell had choices or alternatives before it actually made the final commitment, which is quite surprising to think about. But this is also important to not only understand how and our bodies are producing different types of specific cells, but it helps us understand what happens when it goes wrong, when a cell veers far off track and becomes abnormal. And there are several types of cancer, for example, that originate from neural crest cells, which include tumors in the peripheral nervous systems, whereas some tumors in melanoma. Now, when this controlled process of cell specialization breaks down or fails, it can lead to malignancy. Some cells becoming not so what they're intended to be, not quite right, and causing problems for the body. And this kind of tracking and imaging process actually will help researchers find out what's going on when cells break down, when they move away from their intended path or over-proliferate and lead to various types of cancer. So understanding how your cells get to where they are is important, not just for understanding the fundamental mechanisms that make you, you, but also for understanding how we can better tackle and treat cancers of specific types. This is some great work published in the journal Science from a collaborative team of researchers, including from Harvard Medical School. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. The human body is a mosaic of cells of different ages. Plus, we find out how we can guide one cell to become a neuron or maybe a nerve cell or part of your... Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.